welcome. I'm Connor Beaton, and this is the Man Talk Show, training for men and answers for women. And joining me today is Gabe Deem, and he is the founder of Reboot Nation. Uh, talks a lot about ending or rebooting your life, your brain, your sex life after porn. Uh, he talks a lot about porn's potential negative infa- uh, impacts and effects so others can make informed choices. So a lot of what we're going to talk about on the show today and a lot of what we get into uh, first is Gabe's actual experience. Uh, so he started watching pornography at a very young age and was, uh, in his words, quite addicted to it and it showed a lot of addictive behaviors uh, and, and impacts. And, uh, and then he went on a, a multi-year journey to understand the neurological, biochemical, physical impacts that porn has on users' bodies, especially in prolonged usage. So this is not meant to be a porn-hating episode or a porn-advocating episode. It's actually not about whether you should or should not watch pornography. Um, Even though the title may have uh, implied that, it is more about offering you, the listener, some data, some information, some studies and research that have been done uh, out there in the world to make a more informed decision about porn usage. Uh, Gabe uses a lot of his personal examples, talks about some of the people that he's worked with and some of the men that have gone through uh, this uh, this experience, have gone through some of the uh, the, the process that he outlines. Um, but a lot of what we talk about are the, the science and the research and the neuroscience um, that has been produced over the years behind this subject, really in, in, a, in a means to inform everyone that's listening to this, this podcast to make a decision about where porn fits into your life. And it's not something that many of us actually question. You know, if we are the type of people, if we are the person that is out there that's watching pornography on a regular basis or a daily basis or a weekly basis, it's usually not something that we normally question. Uh, I know for myself in the past, pornography played a large role in my life and uh, was something that when I was going through my own uh, personal challenges was something that I fell back on a lot. And it doesn't actually have a place in my life any longer. It's not something that I use anymore. And there's reasons for that that I talk a little bit about on the show. And so this episode is really a deep dive into the research, into the science behind how porn can sometimes impact sex, uh, how it can impact our mental health and well-being, how it can impact our performance. And Gabe shares some really, really insightful pieces. Uh, we talk about uh, men that, that both of us have worked with um, that, are, that you know, have let go of porn and how it's imp- Im- impacted and improved their lives. Um, but again, this is meant to be a resource for you uh, individually or you and your partner to listen to and have an open conversation about pornography. Because one of the things that I have learned over the years of doing countless men's weekends and working with hundreds and maybe thousands of men at our events and in our weekends and in person and one-on-one is that when, when I get alone with guys and we start talking about pornography, what I find most of the time is that in some, in some way, at some point in a man's life, uh, most guys 
struggle with porn and see it as being a quote unquote problem, seeing it as being something that is having a net negative impact on their life. And so this episode is meant to be a resource to explore some of the possibilities of potentially letting go of it, or at the very least, just informing yourself about pornography and starting to engage in this conversation. So it's a really great dialogue. Uh, Gabe has some really great uh, insights and resources that you can check out. He talks about a few different studies that you can check out online. Um, but this is a really great resource. So so without any further delay, please welcome Gabe Deem. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I think this is going to be good. I've seen some of your stuff online and uh, a couple of the guys from uh, the community recommended that I talk about this subject. And so I think we're going to take a deep dive here. But before we get into the into like the real meat and potatoes of the subject, um, maybe let's just start off with a question that I ask all of my guests, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. Well, I think the most defining moment, especially the second half of my life would have been when it took a complete turn for where I never could have dreamed it would go. And that was when I realized I had a problem. So, you know, growing up all through my childhood, teenage years, I was pretty much what you would consider a hedonist. I was always pursuing pleasure to the utmost degree, having a great time. I was blessed with a a great childhood, loving family, awesome support system, and all that jazz. So my personal story, what led up to that, I guess, defining moment was um, my porn use history. Um, And it began when I was eight years old. I found a Playboy Hustler magazine, as many guys have the same similar story. They found it laying somewhere in a bush or something. It's almost as if magazines grow on trees. I had one YouTube comment that got like 300 likes where like that was um, the way he found a porn magazine. And like a ton of guys said they found the uh, magazine the same way. So it's just strange. You know, I guess that was where the neighborhood porn addict kept his porn stash was some, you know, dark seedy corner. So anyways, I knew what masturbation was. So I actually started masturbating to pictures then at the um, young age of eight. And I started watching cable TV porn when I was 10, um, late night Skinamax. And um, some of the older guys might remember when it was like squiggly. And every now and then the picture would clear up and you might, you know, get a glimpse of an action shot. And then you'd wait another five, 10 minutes until it cleared up again. But anyways, I was staying up late at night doing that as a 10 year old. Again, just, you know, pursuing pleasure, pursuing what I thought was was awesome at the time. And I had no idea of any potential negative effects. And I had no idea that I had a problem, you know, I I was addicted or anything like that. That was, that was not even on my radar, but things got worse with my, my porn use when I was 12, my family got high speed internet. This was back uh, around the year 2000 when it first hit the scene, everyone was getting it. My, my dad worked in the tech industry. So we had, you know, uh, a computer in the living room that was uh, high speed And I had some buddies at school that told me how to watch free content. And so I, I, uh, I started watching internet porn at 12 and I continued to watch porn all through my teenage years, uh, into college. Um, and I was also having real sex. Uh, I, I became sexually active at 14 and all of that ended up leading me to a moment when I was 23 years old, 
I went to have sex with a gorgeous girl I was extremely attracted to in love with. And when we went to have sex, my body couldn't function. I, I couldn't get an erection no matter what we tried. And despite the fact that I was extremely attracted to her. And so that was um, early 2011. And I remember that night uh, crying myself to sleep, um, embarrassed, defeated, had no clue what could possibly be wrong with me. And so I set out to figure it out. And I did what any young guy in my predicament would do and Googled young guy boner problem. And eventually I found a test that led to my defining moment. And the test was see if you can masturbate without porn. Because if you're a young, healthy guy, you should be able to get an erection without, you know, being dependent on a screen. And if you can get an erection, um, or if you can't get an erection without porn, then that would rule out performance anxiety. So if you try and masturbate without porn and you can't, just you and your hand, then that rules out performance anxiety because you're not nervous about sexually satisfying yourself or what your hand thinks of your penis or anything like that. And so I did it. I tried to masturbate without porn. And no matter what I did, no matter what I fantasized about, I couldn't get the slightest bit of arousal going and no erection at all. And that was when I really had my light bulb moment that, oh my gosh, I've you know, I've become dependent on porn to function sexually. And then everything in my history of porn, you started all making sense. Um, my, my lower than normal libido for real, you know, high school, college girlfriends, my, um, my increased refractory period, you know, it took me a long time to go for multiple rounds after I had an ejaculation. And uh, my morphing sexual taste, like everything looking back started to make sense. Uh, my, you know, lack of focus and my poor working memory. There was all these things that after, you know, digging into the research that completely blew my mind. So as I was laying there after I did the test, crying in the shower, <laughs> I realized that my blind pursuit of pleasure with complete ignorance of potential negative effects, you know, I guess, came to a peak in that moment where I was, you know, completely broken and had no idea what I did to myself. And so I decided that I was going to turn my life around, get educated. And eventually I started helping other people. Yeah, man. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing your story so openly because I feel like, um, you know, there's probably a lot of guys that that resonate with that. And that question that you found out online is actually a question that I ask a lot of the guys that come and work with me, which is, you know, when was the last time you masturbated without porn? Because a lot of guys, you know, they, they want to be more sexually active with their partner. They want to have more sex in their relationship or, you know, they're wanting to quote unquote perform better. And that's usually my first question is like, well, A, how much porn are you watching? B, you know, are you, are you able to masturbate without it? And it's interesting because the majority of guys are like, no, I don't have a problem with porn. Like, there's no, there's no issue. I watch it a couple of times a week. It's no big deal. It's like, okay, well, when was the last time you masturbated without it? And most guys will say, I actually have no idea. You know, yeah. maybe it's maybe it's been a decade since since you know, some of the guys that are even listening to this podcast episode uh, have gone without watching yeah. porn. And so, you know, I think one of the other interesting things just before we kind of like get into this big conversation is that 
I just want to recognize that this is a heated subject. You know, it's it's really interesting because we have an online community of like 5,000 guys on Facebook in the Man Talks community. Yeah. And this subject of porn and, you know, its impacts on the brain and its impacts on the body, I mean, it gets heated. <laughs> it's so interesting because some guys are like, you know, this, the science is not great. And other guys are like, the science is bang on because I've experienced it. Um, but for you, I, I'm, I'm interested. So uh, before I just ask you a question, I just want to say that this is, you know, this episode is about your perspective and your experience and, and, you know, what you have learned in your journey. And I think that that's important, right? It's, it's good to hear all sides of the spectrum. But from your perspective, why is porn such a heated thing? And why do so many men uh, get into like these big arguments about whether porn is detrimental or okay for our minds and bodies? Well, um, there's definitely a lot to, to discuss with that. Um, I'm big on the debate around this. I'm big on, you know, talking about the misconceptions and myths that people are still holding on to uh, also. So for instance, um, just for everyone listening, like I'm, I don't consider myself anti-porn. Uh, I'm not on a mission to ban porn. I don't want to ban porn. I just want to raise awareness on potential negative effects. Mm. And I do think uh, if you want to get into the science, I do think that there's plenty of science. And I know the scientific literature on the topic fairly well, including other behavioral addictions like gambling, like food. And um, I think a lot of the, I guess a lot of the pushback that um, happens in the manosphere is two things. One, because historically the topic has been kind of a, if you masturbate too much, you'll go blind kind of talking point. <laughs> or they think that whoever is um, talking about negative effect from porn use have um, a deep seated, maybe moral agenda. So both of those things, or, or, and then the third thing would be that they think that there's no science to back it up. So misconceptions, you know, hidden agendas, and then, um, you know, personal, personal mission for myself being not anti-porn. I think those things are what need to be addressed. I would say that what caught my attention early on when I was getting educated on the, uh, the neuroscience behind porn addiction and um, sexual conditioning that might lead to a sexual dysfunction was that the arguments coming um, forward and being presented in the public were from, you know, for instance, one example was Gary Wilson. And Gary is an atheist that had no moral problem with porn. And he was simply saying, hey, Young guys are getting fucked up and they can't get erections anymore without porn. And so the pushback he would get was, oh, well, you, you're not a credentialed this or that. And it was all ad hominem attacks. And then he would give them scientific studies and he would give them neuroscience and he would give them um, other experts with PhDs saying this and that. And it was always ad hominem attacks and no one addressing the substance. So that was when I was going through recovery back in 2011, which those misconceptions is what led me to speak up because mm. I knew that Gary and some of the leaders of the earliest uh, porn addiction recovery communities like NoFap, um, a lot of guys might be familiar with NoFap, um, YourBrainRebalance.com, all of these were started by guys that didn't care about banning. They're pretty libertarian in their beliefs. And they honestly want people to do whatever they want to do. They just want to raise awareness on negative effects. 
So I think that needs to be said just from Jump Street is just we're talking about potential negative effects. We're not saying it happens to everybody. And we are saying that there's science to back up what we're saying. And that's what we want to raise um, education on and uh, get the information out there. Yeah, I, I think that's such a good distinction. And I appreciate you bringing it in because, because it, you know, this is one of those conversations where if you don't sort of preface that in the beginning and, uh, but, you know, before the dialogue, some people yep. can just check out immediately. So I think that's important. And, and, not, and I, I was going to say one more thing. And, it, and we're yep. not talking about just merely masturbation. We're not talking about masturbation. Um, when I discuss the topic, I'm primarily talking about Internet porn, a super normal stimulus that, you know, has only recently existed. It really took off in 2006 when YouTube was created. That's when porn sites switched to uh, tube sites. And you had unlimited novelty um, available at, you know, instantly with clicks and you could have multiple tabs open. And shortly after that happened, you had an explosion of guys popping up all over the all over the world on forums saying that they can no longer function without porn. So we're not talking about just masturbation and we're not even talking about old school magazines and VHS tapes. We're talking about a super normal stimulus like Internet porn. And that's another a lot of guys think, you know, they cling to their freedom to jerk off. And we're like, look, I always say, like, if you want to masturbate, masturbate, but don't watch Internet porn that will potentially condition the arousal template in your brain, leading to a dependence on it or um, escalate, you know, with novelty, click, 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 leading to addiction after compulsive use. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's that's a, that brings up another good point in the sense that, like, the distinction between something that's addicting versus something that is a sort of normal usage. You know, I think yeah. I've worked with quite a few guys now over the years who have had, and what's actually surprising is that at men's weekends, we'll talk about porn usage very openly. And it continues to surprise me how many guys I self identify as have having had a problem with porn at some point in their life. And you know, it's very interesting because it's not like anyone's giving them a, de a definition of what that uh, unhealthy uh, behavior is with porn. It's just, hey, who feels like they've had an unhealthy relationship with porn at some point in their life? Yeah. And almost always, like 90% of the guys will raise their hands. And it can range anywhere from, oh, you know, I would watch porn four or five times a day and and masturbate to I would watch porn for four or five hours straight watching porn. And so, I mean, it, it really can range from a, you know, a bunch of different things, but when you really give a lot of men the freedom to, to just be in a open environment and have the conversation of like yeah. who here, you know, feels like they've had a, a, an issue with it, guys are starting to self-identify that like, yeah, you know, it probably in the past or in the present is not a healthy thing or it hasn't been a healthy thing. So I think, um, I think there's a lot of guys out there that have been late for work because they were <laughs> trying, to, trying to find that perfect scene to finish. to. Yeah. 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 There you go. That's, that's, <laughs> I feel like that'll hit home. Uh, well, and, and, you know, I think for all the, all the women that are listening to this, 35% of women are now starting to, to watch porn online. Yeah. And, you know, so I think that that's, that's there. But also, I, I think that porn has become this third party in a lot of relationships. You know, a lot of people are watching porn, man or woman, whatever your sexual orientation is. And it 
it's not being talked about. You know, not a lot of people are actually honest about their porn watching usage. Yeah. And so it's kind of like there's this third party in the relationship. And then they're wondering why the sex isn't what they want it to be in, in the relationship. So it can be a big inhibitor. So I know there's a lot to kind of dive into, but I think where I want to start is from what you have learned from your personal experience, from your exploration, what are some of the pieces about pornography that that can make it addictive from a a neurological sense? Well, the primary thing that makes it potentially addictive is novelty. So we know that novelty increases dopamine in the brain and all addictive substances and behaviors that can become um, an addiction have to you know, activate the dopaminergic circuit and the uh, brain's reward circuit. And with internet porn, it really is a novelty producing machine. There's no end to how many new clips, new tabs you could have open. And again, whenever the novelty game changer took place uh, in the uh, mid to late 2000s when YouTube blew up and then all the porn sites followed suit, that was really when you had an explosion of young men show up with problems. Um, And novelty would be the biggest driver. Um, Along with the novelty, another um, factor that makes internet porn so compelling is the fact that things that are shocking, surprising, or exceed expectations or even produce anxiety and fear in you can also, um, you know, up the neurochemical cocktail in your brain. And so when you combine novelty with clicking from shocking video clip to shocking video clip, where you start out with, you know, one guy, one girl, then three guys, one girl, and then you end up watching genres that I don't even have to say because most porn using guys know that it can get pretty crazy. You're doing that and you go down that path because of the novelty and shock and surprise. And so there's this phenomenon called the Coolidge effect. And that's where, you know, exposure to the same video clip, there's actually a study that shows this. They showed the same porn clip to a, um, a set of guys. And on the 18th uh, time they saw the clip, the, they were getting bored, their erection was going down. And when they switched to a new porn clip on the, for the 19th viewing, their erection sprang to attention and their arousal went up. So this has been studied um, and every, you know, every porn using guy knows that when you click to a new uh, video, you, your excitement can go back up again, which which can lead to that edging that I was talking about where, you know, you're always seeking and searching new content, trying to find that one clip to finish to. And that's just because the uh, the novelty factor, keeping uh, dopamine high in the brain. And then once you escalate into more shocking material, that the neurochemicals that are released, um, dopamine specifically, triggers the release of another protein called delta Fos B, which actually you know rewires the brain literally, and you know increases the synaptic connections, and forms what you would um, consider a sensitized addiction pathway, or just um, to say it simply, you become sexually conditioned. So think of uh, Pavlov's dog. A lot of um, listeners might be familiar with Pavlov's dog. He was a scientist that trained his dog to salivate at the sound of a bell by giving the dog food right after he rang the bell. And every dog owner knows there's a word or a phrase or maybe you, you know, you say you want to go outside to your dog and they um, get really excited. That's sex- that, is a, that is conditioning. That's basic learning. 
But with porn, when you're aroused and you're clicking on a video that might have, you know, back in the day you thought was gross or disgusting, as you become desensitized and you're clicking on that new shocking material, that becomes wired into your arousal template. And then when you're done with your jerk off session, you ejaculate, then you come back to your senses and you go, what the hell did I just watch? And that's because, you know, if you have had that feeling where you escalate into something that you used to find disturbing and when you're done um, masturbating, you wonder, like, why in the world are you watching that? Well, it's because two things. It's because um, you've become desensitized where you have less dopamine receptors. So it becomes harder to feel pleasure in general in your brain's reward circuit. And then you have now conditioned like Pavlov's dog. You've uh, conditioned your brain to get excited by that specific content that you wired into your arousal template with the ejaculation. And that's driven, like I said, by novelty and then shock surprise. Yeah. And from what I understand and some of the research that I've done around this this topic, and, and again, just from working with a, lo- a lot of guys around this, is that the more, this just sort of like the more you consume the more you need to watch that shocking content. So, you know, you might start off watching some sort of normal, you know, sex happen or whatever you're sort of into initially. But as time goes on, as your usage goes on, as usage goes goes up, the 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 dopamine is like the sort of floods the brain and then you are looking for something more exciting, more sort of thrill seeking uh, in what you're viewing, and that can lead you down the the quote unquote rabbit hole of of porn. Is that roughly accurate, or how would you describe that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you you become accustomed to the level of stimulation that you get, and you know if you, for instance, I escalated to uh, compilation videos, and I actually got to a point where I wasn't even always watching sex. I would watch like ejaculation compilations, just as one example. Um, that wasn't the only thing I watched, but uh, just to give an example, and it was just novelty and shock. I was always clicking for that bigger dopamine hit. And once you do that, especially if you chronically do it, and especially if you chronically do it during your teenage years, as most young men start watching porn, that becomes wired into the brain. And uh, it, in my case, can lead to less arousal with the real person or um, disinterest in regular old vanilla porn. And you always go back to what you subconsciously remember, especially when your um, prefrontal cortex shuts off whenever you're in a state of arousal and you're not thinking as clearly, then you end up back on that crazy shocking content um, because your reward circuit was um, triggered. Those sensitized neurological pathways in your brain become activated and you you know, you click and click and you seek out that content again, because you missed that big dopamine kick that you got. Yeah. And what, what would you say like drove from your personal experience? I'm, I'm actually, I'm curious about this because you sort of, you know, outlined at the beginning where I asked you the question about your defining moment growing up in, you know, good household, good home, you know, no sort of like trauma or abuse, you know, the sort of things that people would normally look for to be able to assign, uh, some sort of of understanding around why you were driven towards this addictive behavior. So, what would you say attributed to you kind of getting, a, for lack of a better word, addicted to porn or having those addictive behavioral symptoms show up with pornography? You bring up a good point. So, a lot of a lot of skeptics of porn addiction will always put the blame on um, shame. They'll put the blame on trauma or the lack of ability to get a real life attractive partner. And 
that's also part of what led me to speak up is when I was reading everything in mainstream media, it, every article, every video and interview that I listened to or read mentioned these misconceptions and put the blame on them. But I was someone who didn't have shame around my porn use. I had always, since I was a little kid, in my opinion, had an attractive partner. And I didn't turn to porn because of any abuse or trauma to ease the pain, if you will. I turned to porn in pursuit of pleasure. And so with opportunity addictions is what you could call them, um, or opportunity addicts, I should say, uh, that's the category that I would fall under. And you see that addiction is not always driven by abuse or trauma or shame, although a lot of people think that with, with natural rewards like food, gambling, and taking risk, and now internet porn, there's actually a growing group of addicts that um, therapists are calling opportunity addicts. And so for me, the reason I think I became addictive, um, and it could be partly genetic, they say about 50% of addiction could be genetics. And then the other variables are chronic consumption um, through childhood or adolescence, which I definitely tick that box. And also, um, I guess, you know, escalating into the material that I did escalate into. I think uh, doing both of those, chronic, chronically consuming it all through my childhood, you know, I started at eight, 10 years old, escalated, 12 years old, escalated. I think, in my opinion, it was just chronic use just about every day, all through my childhood and teenage years, I was watching highly stimulating um, novel porn. And through doing that for a decade, uh, I think that's what led to my problem. Um, and then when I quit, when I decided to give it up, I experienced a little withdrawal. And, you know, a lot of people think withdrawal only happens with substances, but there's plenty of studies that show behavioral addictions, again, like gambling, like food addiction, and now porn addiction. Um, studies show that uh, users do experience withdrawal symptoms by abstaining. And they appear in this in the form of stress and anxiety. So for, for behavioral addictions, obviously, you're not going to be dependent on a, uh, a foreign substance. You're going to be um, dependent on the natural endogenous uh, neurochemicals like the constant dopamine hit. So when you cut that out and you go without it, you can experience an increase in stress and anxiety, uh, maybe some lethargy and uh, some insomnia or trouble sleeping. And those are all symptoms that I experienced. I'm typically a pretty laid back, chill dude. And I experienced an increase in social anxiety, um, severe irritation, uh, and had, a, had my first panic attack going through recovery. And uh, I also went into, and this is kind of, this is a weird one. I went into what we call a flat line. And a lot of heavy porn users experience this. When you give up porn, you see a complete drop of libido. And it can, it can stick around for a period of time where you feel like a 90-year-old dude or an asexual zombie. And then once that, I guess, reward circuit comes back online for real potential mates, real potential partners, then you start to feel your libido perk back up again. And is there is there a rough timeline? Like if if someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, "Oh shit," you know, I think I've been watching porn maybe a little bit too much, and I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it for you know thirty or sixty days, and they start to experience that. Is there a rough timeline that they should be aware of that they're probably going to have a reduced libido? 
So I try and stay away from any specific answer because it's it, it varies so much. Um, I will say that the the trends that we've seen is not what you would expect. Older guys typically recover faster and regain their libido in a flat line faster. And younger guys who have used, you know, a shit ton of porn since they were a kid sometimes take longer. I would say nothing, uh, nothing insane. I I had one of the longest recoveries that we know about. I had a um, three month flat line when I was going through my recovery. Um, It took me, it ended up taking me nine months to be able to have sex again. But like I said, I was one of the longest cases that we've seen. On average, most older guys can recover within the first couple months. So that, you know, that typical 90 day period, it's arbitrary, but it is still just kind of good to have that framework. And then a lot of younger guys can take, you know, several months longer. But the good news is everyone that's tracked their progress and, you know, stayed around the recovery community, we've seen, you know, come out the other side and regain their sexual function. The, the good news about all this is, the neuroscience we discuss for, you know, creating the potential problem is the same thing that creates the healing. And that's neuroplasticity. The brain, you know, can always change our entire adult lives. It's, it's never fixed, although it does lose some, you know, moldability. Uh, once you enter adulthood, you can always rewire and, you know, recondition the arousal template. Hmm. Really interesting, man. And I think, you know, it brings up a question of how we sort of protect kids around this subject matter, you know, because I think what you're talking about is finding porn at a very young age. I know for myself, it's actually interesting. I did an episode uh, last year and it was all about porn and I had three guys on the show, sat down, we, we filmed it, we videoed it and did like a whole production around it. It was interesting because there was this big theme that a lot of the guys found porn out in the woods. <laughs> yeah. And so when you discuss when you discussed your story, I was like, what the hell? Like, who the fuck's leaving all this porn out in the fucking woods? Like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. It had to be married guys that just did not want to take a chance on their wife finding it under the mattress or something. I don't know. So I mean, maybe, under, yeah. Let me just go throw it under this bush. It'll be fine. And then the neighborhood kids playing hide and seek are like, what? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, who's, who's masturbating out in the woods that much? I mean, it's, it's crazy. But anyway, I think one of the, one of the interesting things that we, we talked about is like how old we were when we found porn. And I, you know, I think I remember being pretty young as well. Like we got internet, uh, probably when I was like 12 or 13 and it was dial up. And so like, you know, a slow loading line by line of, of, you know, pictures and stuff like that. And there's no video, but you know, I think I can recall that being a very exhilarating feeling, you know, something to escape with something that is a a huge reward system. It's like, you know, fun and exciting at the time. And I think I think about now today, the access that that kids have is pretty wild. You know, like I, I went and spoke at an all boys, like a 650 uh, all boys college prep military high school uh, last year. And I brought up the subject of porn and I just said, you know, give a shout if you've watched porn before and literally every single dude, like all of these 650 boys and some of them, you know, are in like grade seven are hooting and hollering at porn. And I think it really shocked the parents and the teachers that were there 
because they're like, holy shit, like every single student was yelling about it. And I yeah. was like, yeah, because like, do you know if there's any research around the average age of, of porn viewing today? Yeah, a lot of studies put it at 11. Some have gone even as low as nine. Um, wow. And I will say this too, on that point of it being the entire group, uh, there was a study in Australia from uh, a couple years ago that found that a hundred percent of the young guys had watched porn. So this was actually, you know, peer reviewed study found a hundred percent. And then, uh, one that's commonly talked about a Canadian researcher, uh, in 2011 tried to do a study and have a control group of guys that didn't watch porn and he couldn't find anybody. So he couldn't, he couldn't do the study he wanted to do because he couldn't find guys that haven't watched porn. So it can, uh, it just shows you how prevalent this problem is. And like you said, most parents have no clue. My, my parents didn't have any clue. My mom, I always joke about my mom, you know, yelling at me for taking long showers when I was a kid, but I had my laptop in the bathroom and I was watching some porn with a shower running. Yeah. Wild, man. I mean, I feel like that, again, that resonates with a lot of guys probably listening to this. Um, okay. So talk to me a little bit about some of the possible side effects. You know, if, if there's guys that are out there that are watching porn on a fairly regular basis, what do they need to be aware of? Like, I think one of the things that I've read online is that things like, you know, low libido and erectile dysfunction. And, you know, there's, there's a few side effects. So maybe just lay some of them out uh, and, we, and we can go from there. Yeah. So, I mean, those are the worst symptoms would be, you know, the end of the road would be sexual dysfunction. And I know uh, a lot of that contention that you were talking about, the, a lot of the online arguments come from guys, first of all, that have never tried to abstain from porn for a long extended period of time. So they don't even know if they can, you know, easily go without it, as every man should easily be able to go without porn. You know, again, you've, we've never had a point in human history where a young man had to watch porn to masturbate. But nowadays, guys can't even imagine masturbating without porn. It should be easy breezy, but a lot of guys couldn't fathom it. So the sexual dysfunctions are, you know, the, the end of the road. You have porn-induced erectile dysfunction or uh, copulatory impotence, as it is called, where you, can, you can't get it up with a partner, but you can function just fine with uh, your, your laptop or your smartphone. And a lot of guys, before they hit the end of the road, can still get it up, but they have to finish themselves off with their own hand. So you'll see that a lot, too, where, you know, you'll have delayed ejaculation, where you can, you know, during sex, it never gets you to that point and gets you to climax. But as soon as you maybe fantasize about a porn script that you have in your, you know, you wired into your arousal template, you fantasize about porn and you get a death grip and stroke yourself. That's the only thing that can bring you to climax. Can you, can you say more about why that is? Cause I think that's, that's kind of an interesting thing that, that I've actually had quite a few guys write me about. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's twofold. You have the porn side and then you have the death grip side. So again, the porn side would be the conditioning of your, you know, not only your arousal template, but your entire, you know, auto autonomic nervous system to where you train yourself uh, to edge. So a lot of guys with delayed ejaculation are edgers. They're, they're, the, they're the guys that train their arousal for, you know, uh, the marathon whackers. 
they're the guys that will click on clip to clip, you know, maybe, yeah, that's doing it. Let me open up this tab and, you know, search for more content. Yeah. And a lot of these guys won't even be masturbating the whole time. You'll, you'll end up where you're, you know, your phone's just in your hand and you're just, you're clicking and clicking from video to video. So your arousal drops off and then it spikes back up when you find a video you want to watch, but then you fast forward to the most intense part and then you get bored and then you find another clip and then that's not doing it anymore. So you just watch compilation videos to where the whole video is constantly changing. So anyways, you can train your arousal to need that constant hit and that constant shock. And you can be a marathon whacker where you you're doing that, you know, for 20, 30, 40 minutes. And when you have sex with your real partner, your, your body is not trained for that. You've wired your arousal for hand on keyboard or, or phone screen contact. You haven't wired your arousal for, you know, penis and vagina, uh, contact. You, you've literally been training for the wrong sport. An analogy I like to use is, if you want to get good at playing football, you're not going to play Madden NFL on Xbox. Every guy that's an athlete knows that if you're a gamer and that's all you do is play video games, you're not even going to be able to throw or catch a ball in real life. You're going to be goofy, uncoordinated, and fumble around like a total dweeb. But with porn addiction and um, especially delayed ejaculation, that's exactly what happens. You, you get to a point where literally your body just doesn't respond the same way when you're having real sex and then the other so that would be the porn side and then the other side is the death grip where a lot of guys you know grip their dick extremely hard and stroke it extremely fast to where the the um the grip of a a real life partner whether that's an anus or a vagina um just can't compare to the, the the death grip, you know, and stroking yourself really fast. So you're, you become physically desensitized as far as like, you know, the nerve cells in the penis go. But I, I tend to think that the bigger issue um, is the porn side. Um, and I also think that there's a danger that most people need to know about. And that's uh, something called traumatic masturbatory syndrome. Um, sometimes I'll see guys that reach out to me that don't necessarily have a porn problem, but they've trained their, uh, they've trained their sexuality to be aroused by humping, like either maybe the bed or, um, I had one guy say that he would, uh, hump couch cushions and push down to create a lot of pressure. Um, so there's, there's some weird masturbatory habits that one can uh, train themselves for again, kind of training for that wrong sensation to where when they do have real sex, the level of uh, um, grip, the level of sensation can't compete with, um, you know, putting your penis inside a real partner. So uh, those are another thing to, that's another thing to watch out for is the traumatic masturbatory syndrome. Basically don't jam your dick really roughly into things you want (laughs) to, if you do masturbate, um, experts will tell you that you need to go, you know, simulate real sexual, um, simulate the real sexual environment as much as possible. If you're going to go that route, what you don't want to do is, you know, screw your nerve cells up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, as you're describing this, I am getting, uh, uh, reminded of a a show called big mouth on Netflix. Have you ever seen this? I've heard about it. I've never watched it. I mean, it's it's really, really good. It's an animated series by these two comedians. And it's all about teenage boys and girls going through puberty together. Yeah. And there's a character in it that is just like, he's, he's basically just like, you know, somewhat what we're talking about. And he 
like you know he hits puberty and his hormone monster comes out and he starts having sex with his pillows is he basically and, like the, the teenage quagmire yeah 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 basically yeah and so he's like and he he has this sort of like obsession with like fucking pillows and couch cushions and stuff like that and so like yeah it's i mean it's a real thing you know finding things to to have yeah. sex with okay so i mean you know i think i think this is probably bringing up a a little bit of a, a question around sexual urges desires and finding that sort of like healthy medium where you know a guy is able to express himself to explore himself like what what do you what do you start to recommend like you know for guys that are listening to this podcast there's a lot of information on on this one about the you know the the neurological impact the neurochemical impact um some of the side effects of of watching porn like what what do guys start to do to maybe move away from pornography if they've been watching it for a long time and they want to explore what it would be like to to find pleasure, to find desire, to find arousal without pornography? Yeah. So, you know, honestly, the, the, the profound answer to this is that it's not profound. It's, it's honestly the same ancient wisdoms that people have always said to be, you know, to be pursuing a healthy lifestyle. And so, you know, as I was digging around and reading, you know, a shit ton of articles and watching a ton of videos from world leading psychologists and philosophers and, you know, whatever, you name it. It was interesting that everyone had the most simple answers to the problem. And that was, you know, the same thing. I could give a list. Time in nature, intense exercise, meditation, maybe cold showers, and then of course, socializing and spending time with real people. Um, so to say it simply, the, the solution and to, in my opinion, experience that healthy masculinity, it's don't be so connected online and get connected in real life. Now, I know, obviously, there's some caveats that need to be said, which, you know, if you have a career that needs you to be online, if you're a producer, like, obviously, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, what I am talking about is that hedonistic pursuit of pleasure through digital means. I think that if you want to tap in to the healthiest lifestyle possible, you need to avoid super unnatural, super normal stimulation. So, you know, for instance, social media is more stimulating from a dopamine perspective because there's always new notifications, there are always things to look at, and there's always new videos and funny little clips and you name it, that can stimulate you. What you need to do is cut that out and go pursue real conversations with real people. Um, mm -hmm. You get more of a deeper connection that way. And with video games, we're all driven to, you know, take risks and level up in the real world. But if you get hijacked by video games, you end up, you know, trying to level up your Fortnite character or whatever game it is that you play. Um, that, that's also happened to me. I don't, have to go into my gaming past, but I definitely was a gaming addict as well. Um, and again, I'm not anti-gaming at all. I'm just saying that if you have a problem or you notice that your motivation for leveling up in the real world has become hijacked by leveling up online, then you need to cut that back. Um, and mm -hmm. then the same with porn. If, you're, if your sexual libido is, and you might not even be conscious of it, if it's subconsciously driving you to open up your laptop in the middle of the day, or maybe while your partner is sleeping in bed next to you, um, and you're more driven to watch some novel porn clips, uh, that might be a problem. And so the it all comes back to getting disconnected 
online and getting connected back into the real world, whether that's spending time with real people, time in nature, learning a new um, instrument or a new language or taking dance classes, et cetera. The most, the most successful um, guys in recovery, I guess you'd say, we call them rebooters because they reboot their brain. They've been the guys that got plugged back in um, to the real world, doing things that are just so basic, exercise, socializing, time in nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome, man. And I'm curious, I just want to kind of shift the conversation to the impact here on relationships. Like, you know, if if a guy is watching porn on a, on a regular basis, like, you know, two, three, four times a week, what are some of the impacts outside of the, you know, the obvious stuff that we've talked about already in terms of like the, the potential symptoms? But what are some of the impacts that you've seen in terms of the, the impact on the relational dynamic? Yeah. Um, I totally forgot to get into the mental uh, symptoms too, which I'll try and remind me to come back to that. Uh, yeah. So the the relationship thing, man, that's that's the big heartbreaker for me. Um, and a lot of guys don't give two shits about it, but it's usually not until you look back in retrospect on your life and your porn use and you start to think how it affected your partner. But you know, there's always the the classic talking point is that the partner won't feel like they're good enough, right? Um, if you have a porn problem and your partner knows it, they're going to feel like they're not providing you with something that you're getting from porn. Even if you consciously, like, let's say you have an addiction and you don't want to be watching porn and you just can't stop and you're you know, having trouble con- containing your use or controlling your use. Um, your partner thinks that you're turning to that you know, material because they're not pretty enough. Uh, maybe they're prude and won't do stuff that you're watching in porn in the real bedroom. But the uh, collateral damage that has on your partner can be devastating. And for me personally, like I never turned to porn for a lack of something that I could get in the real, real bedroom. Um, my partners were always, you know, willing to do whatever it was that I wanted to do. And like I said, I, I thought they were extremely attractive, prettier than some of the girls that I was watching in porn. And they still felt completely second option. They felt second place. And uh, that's probably the main thing that you'll hear um, partners partners say is that they just feel like, I mean, it, just think of it from a practical sense. When you're turning to something else for your sexual pleasure, that will innately make your partner feel like they're not providing you with something. Um, and it, all it takes is for a guy to imagine the same situation where if his partner was, you know, turning to someone else or something else to get pleasure, then you would feel inadequate. But it also can affect the um, sexual tastes. So morphing sexual taste is another thing. A lot of guys who are into doing stuff in the bedroom, whether it's anal sex, coming on your partner's face, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, it usually doesn't happen until you quit watching porn that you realize that you weren't necessarily innately attracted to that, but it was rather conditioned into your arousal template and your adolescent use. Now, I, I, again, I want to be really careful here not to pathologize any sexual behavior. I'm not on that mission, and I don't care whatever you're into, you're into. Um, but one way to find out if your porn use has affected your sexual taste is to go an extended period of time without it. Um, but most guys, honestly, all you have to do is ask yourself the honest question of, is that because, am I into this, whatever, you know, insert blank here, um, because of my porn use, or was it something that I was innately attracted to? And you can, you know, figure that answer out pretty quickly. 
yeah, so morphing sexual tastes definitely impact the bedroom. Uh, I read a study the other day. I think just last week I tweeted it out. And something like 35% of young women have had their faces ejaculated on now. And that was, you know, that was not as popular 20, 30 years ago before internet porn. And, you know, I talked to a lot of older guys and ladies, and they are shocked when they see the percentage of, you know, teenagers that are having anal sex and uh, choking now is really popular among young people. They're doing breath play and choking. Um, and then, of course, you know, ejaculating on the face. And so stuff like that, you know, you again, we can argue statistically or whether that was an innate desire that we've been suppressing. But it's one thing you can't argue is that porn use has led to a drastic increase in that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting pieces that that you really touched on there is is the impact in in the relationship. Right. And I think one of the things uh, that both my wife and I have seen in, in, she works only with couples. She's a marriage and family therapist. And, and <clears throat> time and time again, when, when the conversations of sex comes up, you know, one of the biggest challenges in a relationship is that people have a lot of sexual shame. It's embarrassing to talk about the desires that you want and mm -hmm. the things that you want to explore. And it's very easy to, to avoid that shame and to avoid those tough conversations that would improve the quality and the quantity of the sexual interactions that you have, the sexual intimacy within your relationship, simply because one or both parties are turning towards some other means. And for a lot of people, it's becoming more and more, uh, it is becoming porn, right? And, and that then is informing the type of sex that they should be having. There's a lot of comparison. There's a lot of resentment that's building. You know, people are people are are watching porn. Man or woman are looking at porn and then saying, "Well, my you know my partner doesn't fuck me like that, or they don't let me do this to them, and and like my sex isn't that my sex life with my partner isn't as good as I want it to be simply because my partner won't let me do X, Y, and Z that I watched in a porno this week, mm -hmm. and and so the sex life becomes very pornified. And the interesting thing, again, just circling back to this uh, other discussion that I had around porn, we put an event on and had porn, like people that are in the pornography industry come and speak. And the biggest part about it was that they talked about how when they are on set, they're on porn, like they're on a porn set, that it's it's entertainment, right? They're so clear about that. They're like, look, it's not, it's not real life. It's entertainment. Like when we're at home with our partners, we don't have sex like that. You know, like we don't fuck like we do when we're on set in a porn. It's just entertainment. Mm -hmm. It's designed to capture people's attention and to do some wild stuff and to like, you know, showcase their, like what their imagination might possibly have never even thought of before. And that's very appealing. And so even people in the porn industry sort of know that it's it's just entertainment, um, but that it might have a place at home with with people in terms of exploring, et cetera, et cetera, within a, the context of relationships, so long as it's being used properly. Yeah, that, um, that reminds me of something that's real important to point out on that is the that script of porn, the way the way the actors and actresses behave and just the genres in general, if you condition yourself to that, and that's all that you have as a young man, you've been watching porn since you were 11, 12 years old, that's a big disconnect when you get with a real partner. Um, a partner that doesn't have a porn problem is going to want you to be present. They're not going to want you to be a performer. And so when you have a porn script 
and that's all you know, and you're you're pornifying every sexual thing that you do with your partner. Your partner's going to know that. It's almost like they're going to know that you're not in the moment, and you're ra- you're and instead you're just playing a porn script in your head. So there's no intimacy. There's no really deep connection there. They're just a masturbatory aid to you. And that's a big problem right now that I hear from a lot of young women is that their partners are just porn zombies when they're having sex. And they're like you said, they're just they're just fucking from a porn script narrative and there's no intimacy. And yeah, I mean that can be that can be great. And if that's what both partners want, then great. But there's a lot of times where especially um, women don't, especially of women that don't watch porn, they don't like that and they don't get turned on by that. They want to feel pursued on an intimate level also, not just a physical level. And mm. if you're just playing a porn script on them, they're no different than a human fleshlight. And they know that. They feel objectified. They feel used. And I think, uh, you know, again, all the macho dudes out there and even, you know, younger Gabe would have said, you know, whatever, dude, I don't care. You're just a a prude trying to moralize whatever this or that. But I'm just saying as a, as a pleasure seeking hedonist, that intimacy and sex is better when you're not just going off a porn script and you're actually in the moment. Yeah. I think the, the interesting thing that I would just sort of touch on there is from my, my personal experience and from the experience that I, you know, have, have had in, in working with men for, for quite a while now is that, and maybe I'll just speak from my own personal preference here is, is that the, the time that I was watching porn and the times that, you know, porn was an active big part of my life, I was literally never satisfied. Like I couldn't get enough. I was just never satiated, you know? And, and it was like one of those things where there was a constant thirst, there was a constant hunger. And, and that, you know, that, that presence to being, satisfied that presence to to really enjoying sex and intimacy with your partner however that looks you know whether you're into lovemaking or bdsm or like whatever you're into Mm -hmm. uh it's very challenging when that intimacy template like you're talking about is pornified and i've seen this time and time again for a lot of guys that their sex life with their partner radically starts to change and shift when they let go of porn because it does a bunch of things, right? It forces them to go and have conversations with their partner to say, here's what I like, here's what I don't like, here's what I want to explore. What do you like? What do you want to explore? You know, those types of things. And they actually start to get their sexual needs met because they've let go of their their crutch, the dependency on you know, well, if I don't, if you don't give me what I want sexually and, and how I want to fuck, I don't care because I'll just go watch porn and I, and there I can get whatever I want. Yeah. And so for me, I found a huge, huge increase in actually letting go of porn because it it did a, a number of things for me relationally that allowed me to really engage in a, in a much deeper, more intimate and more profound way sexually with my partners. Yeah. And so just a little nugget there. But I do want to circle back around. You mentioned the uh, mental health implications of porn. I'm wondering if you can just elaborate on that. Yeah. So other than the, the, the physical dysfunctions that, you know, many, many guys might not have, um, there's also the more mental psychological, although they are technically physiological too, uh, if you look at neurons firing in the brain. But anyways, there's there's working memory being affected. Um, studies have shown with uh, behavioral addictions that working memory is affected. So, you know, 
again, you, you can go through all the behavioral addictions, whether it's gambling, food, or porn. Um, once you develop an addiction, you start to subconsciously think about that. Um, you know, you don't even end up know how you uh, ended up thinking about it. But during the day, that's kind of taking your focus. And so you can't retain information as well. Um, and this is shown in a re- reduction of gray matter in the brain where, you know, that's dopamine receptors communicating and, sig- and sending signals. And ultimately, that's what leads you to learning and retaining information. So essentially, with less nerve cells communicating in the brain, less knowledge can be retained. And so you see a drop in working memory. Literally, you get dumber when you're addicted to something. And then there's um, stress and anxiety. Uh, when you're not engaging in your addiction, your, your body releases uh, an increase in cortisol and norepinephrine, which is the stress hormones. And uh, when you're stressed, that triggers the craving circuitry in your brain, which makes you go back to what you're addicted to. So it's this whole cycle um, mentally that happens, you know, increase in stress, you're bored and you can't learn. And the only thing that's enticing to your brain is whatever it is that you're addicted to. And that, you know, the the stress chemicals are a big one that can lead to uh, lethargy. It can lead to um, irritability, anxiousness, uh, you know, trouble sleeping and uh, tons of other problems. And then uh, motivation. Motiv- I would say just general motivation is another big one that you see with, uh, with all behavioral addictions, especially internet porn, is when you tax your reward system with tons of dopamine during your masturbation sessions and you're, you're clicking and clicking and keeping dopamine high. Dopamine is a motivational neurochemical. Its, its job is to get us to pursue things that are healthy and good for survival. And the brain's reward circuit wants you to avoid things that are bad and could cause death. So anything that is super pleasurable, your brain wires up to that because it thinks it's good for you. So whether it's junk food, like pizza, donuts, your brain thinks that you hit jackpot, and that's really good for your survival because it measures reward by dopamine release. And so when you get addicted to junk food, broccoli and celery are not appealing anymore. And if you ask, if you ask, you know, anyone in the fitness industry or athletes that eat a really healthy diet, they'll tell you that, you know, once they've abstained from junk food and sugary drinks for a long period of time, normal healthy food tastes great. But when you're hooked on pizza and monster energy drinks, and that's all you're taking in constantly, you know, healthy food is absolutely disgusting. Like you might as well be eating cardboard. And the same thing happens with sexuality. If you're hooked on internet porn and sexual uh, experiences with real people can be um, stale in comparison. But this all goes back to that motivation point I was making where if your motivation, your natural drive is hooked to porn, then your um, dopamine production becomes decreased. So you become desensitized. Your brain has fewer gray matter, uh, neural connections in the brain. And so literally at a physiological level, just uh, speaking of the brain's reward circuit, you're going to have less motivation, but a high drive to use whatever it is that you're addicted to, especially when it's triggered by stress. So those are some of the main mental, if you will, uh, symptoms of a porn problem. And then also I'll say one last thing, and that's loss of control. Um, You know, you, you become compulsive with your use, Uh, You watch for longer than you say you're going to watch. 
you can't manage your use or time using, you know, anymore. And you, uh, I guess, basically lose control and you continue to use despite negative consequences. So whether that's your partner catching you, whether that's, uh, you know, showing up late for work a couple times because you took too long of a bathroom break or too long at your house, at your house, trying to find that perfect scene, whatever the case may be, um, loss of control is another, another symptom. And you won't know if you have a problem controlling your use unless you try and experiment going without. And if you have any of those mental symptoms, you know, poor working memory, low motivation, I highly recommend every dude out there at least try. Um, you never know if you have a problem unless you try and go without it. So yeah, it's so good, man. Well, I, I appreciate you putting that last part in and, and just being able to sort of talk about the the mental health side of things. And, and some of those components are, are really powerful and they're good sort of uh, markers, you know, for the for the men and women listening to this show to be able to kind of tune into where, you know, if they are watching porn, where they sort of fall on that spectrum and do like a little bit of a self check. I think the other thing too, is that, you know, this, it's probably going to get better before, or worse before it gets better, right? In the, in the sense that, I mean, I have seen uh, multiple, multiple men and, and, and many of my clients have started to use VR goggles and yeah. porn. And it's a, I mean, that's a fucking trippy experience because if you're watching POV, if you're watching like point of view porn, it, Mm -hmm. you know, you have these virtual reality goggles on, it looks like you are having sex with somebody else, you know, in in terms of like it, it, your, your brain can't really distinguish a lot of the differences between what you're seeing on the screen in front of you and, and what you're experiencing in your body. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's it's a very interesting place that we find ourselves in as human beings right now in terms of what's yep. what's around the corner with technology converging with the fact that most people don't have uh, you know the they don't have the tools or they haven't been taught how to communicate about sex or or explore what they want sexually and yet they are given access to you know everything right everything you could possibly ever even imagine online is is at your fingertips for free uh so you don't have to work at all and so all of our sort of hidden and buried sexual desires can just uh be found online yeah i i think you you touched on education and communicate you touched on communication several times i I think communication and then education is key moving forward. The problem's definitely not going away. There's also, with, along with the VR headset stuff, there's teledildonics. Have you heard of that? I have, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to explain it for them, though? Yeah, no, I don't want to give anybody any ideas, but <laughs> too late. But um, yeah, I think education on potential negative effects. You know, I, I look at internet porn the same way personally as I view cigarettes. Um, you know, it's, it's fun for a while, but it can have serious negative physiological effects. And if I had known the potential negative effects growing up, um, I might not have stayed completely away, but I definitely would have been looking for red flags and would have um, avoided ending up to the point where what I thought would give me more sexual pleasure ended up taking me you know, to a point where I couldn't experience any sexual pleasure. I think people just need to know the potential negative effects so they can make informed choices. And again, I'm not on a mission to control anybody or tell anyone what to do. I want everyone to experience the most pleasure and joy in life. And I think education and knowing, you know, the red flags to look for 
is how you can steer yourself to the healthiest sexuality. Yeah, awesome. Well, you know, I think there's there's probably an, a number of questions that we could still dig into, and I, I want to be respectful of your time and and the listeners' time. But you know, I think in terms of the maybe like one of the final question or two that I have, one is: is there a case for porn? You know, for porn in an individual sexual exploration and a couple's sexual exploration, and if so. Are are there pathways that people can go down that maybe are a little bit more conducive to that exploration than the the type of porn that's that's normally being viewed? Well, I think in some cases there can be, and I think if you are going to use porn, first of all, you need to make sure it's ethically produced, if you will. Um, you know, one of my one of my friends, she's a uh, anti porn activist, uh, Layla. She's going after Pornhub right now for a very serious problem, and that's that even a site like Pornhub doesn't verify the people that upload videos and has no system in place for verifying the age and consent of who's in the video. So this, you know, I never really thought about this until recently I saw her um, tweeting about it, and there's literally no verification process that can confirm the identity of who's posting the videos and who's in the videos. So when you're clicking around on porn tube sites, you may very well be watching the sexual abuse of another person or a sex trafficked child. And, you know, if anyone thinks I'm exaggerating or being alarmist, I'm not. There's actually tons of cases going on right now. Um, there's a, a series of porn called Girls Do Porn. Some of the listeners might be familiar with it. But they actually just uh, won a case because the um, they were coerced into doing the porn and the um, judge found the producers guilty of um, basically sex trafficking. I think they were guilty of sex trafficking. Um, and then there's other examples where I know of a, a girl's rape who was 14 was um, was streamed on Pornhub in 58 different videos. So that was one thing. You know, if you're, if you're going to watch porn, make sure it's ethically produced. Uh, Make sure the, the the website can confirm the age and consent of who's in the video. Um, and then other than that, I think uh, there's also the, the problem of what you're watching. Um, you know, if you're clicking on something that's repulsive to you, maybe it's literally, you know, abusive, misogynistic, where they're, they're punching and they're hitting, or it's simulated rape or, you know, insert whatever that might according to each individual listener's standards, might be repulsive. Know the neuroscience behind why you, why you might find that arousing and how it could change your sexuality and change your, um, not your sexuality, but change what sexually arouses you through sexual conditioning. So yeah, I, I, I typically say there's no reason to watch porn. I, I think it's just anti-health. I think if you want to experience the most pleasure, sex away from porn is better. But if you do decide to use porn, the very least you can do is um, try and find ethically produced material. Yeah, I think that's that's some some good insight. And you know, one of the things that I've talked about on the show before is the the concept of the idea that a lot of porn is actually produced to play on and, and eroticize our childhood wounds. And so, a lot of the porn that you see online, you know, the mom porn and 
stepdad porn and you know all that, all that kind of stuff is is there to eroticize the unhealthy dynamics that and and abuse or neglect or abandonment that people actually experience in their childhood and and they're eroticizing that that pain or that suffering from their younger years and then that's showing up and and being compounded in the relationship because they're seeing it on porn they're eroticizing it they're getting off to it and then they're replicating that oftentimes within their relationship and so um, a lot of the work that I've done with couples or individuals is actually like getting into that part and exploring the type of porn that they watch, because sometimes it can be very indicative about some of the stuff that they went through in their childhood that they are now recreating in their adult relationships. And so some really, really good insight here, man. And, you know, I think this was a, uh, a really interesting conversation. And um, I guess the, the the final piece is, you know, if people want to learn more about you and what you're up to, where where should they go? Yeah, so I'm I'm active on Twitter in regards to anything porn related. So you can find me. My handle is just my name at Gabe Deem. Um, and then I have a YouTube channel, The Reboot Nation, uh, where I post you know informational and educational videos on the topic of uh, porn addiction and then also just general addiction. Um, and then I, I run rebootnation.org, which is my online free community where you can make an account anonymous if you want, and you can ask questions and share your story and get get support along the recovery process. Awesome. Thank you so much. So for everyone that's listening, we'll have links to that in the show notes. Uh, don't forget to share this episode. I feel like this is an important topic. It could be a great topic to dive into with your partner, share it with them and uh, and open up a dialogue, see what they liked, disliked, you know, see what they want to talk about or not talk about. Uh, but this could be a really interesting conversation. Just break the ice when it comes to porn in relationships or porn for yourself or people in your life. Uh, so make sure that you share this episode and don't forget to leave us a rating and review goes a long way. Whatever platform you are listening to us on, uh, we're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify, we're on iTunes. We are on all of them. So thank you so much for tuning in this week. This is Connor Beaton signing off. Mm-hmm.